So for this morning, uh, we'll be looking at, at Exodus, at Matthew, and then at a passage in Acts, but a little later on than Acts 2. But I would um, recommend, being Pentecost today, that you go back and read Acts chapter 2 uh, later this afternoon. For now, Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, which can be found on page 89 in our pew Bibles. And before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. God, we do thank you for the ways that uh, you call out to us, to get our attention. God, we thank you for your word that you have given to us, and we pray that we would not um, take it for granted or take it lightly. But God, that we would understand that this is your very word to us. God, that we would hear your word clearly this morning. That we would hear you calling us back again to you. God, that you would give us ears that are open and ready to hear. That you would give us minds that are sharp and made ready to understand. That you would give us hearts that are soft and ready to be changed. God, that you would continue the work that you have begun in us by your word and by your spirit making us ever more into the people that you have created us to be in relationship with you through Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. We have Moses outside of, uh, outside of Egypt. Says, now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face, because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I? that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Speaking of worshiping God on a mountain, we turn to Matthew chapter 28. Verses 16 through 20. It should be found on page 1553 in your pew Bibles. 
to the end. Last week we read the end of the book of John. Today we have the end of the book of Matthew. After Jesus had been raised from the dead, chapter 28, starting in verse 16, it says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain, where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. Finally, Acts chapter 7, starting in verse 30, going through 36. This is in the middle of the speech that Stephen is making to the Sanhedrin. Just this middle section here, he says, After 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to Moses in the flames of a burning bush in the desert near Mount Sinai. When he saw this, he was amazed at the sight. As he went over to get a closer look, he heard the Lord say, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses trembled with fear and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have indeed seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their groaning and have come down to set them free. Now come, I will send you back to Egypt. This is the same Moses they had rejected with the words, Who made you ruler and judge? He was sent to be their ruler and deliverer by God himself through the angel who appeared to him in the bush. He led them out of Egypt and performed wonders and signs in Egypt at the Red Sea and for 40 years in the wilderness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, we have been looking at the book, of, uh, the book of Acts, and I would say going through the book of Acts, seeing what it is that Jesus continued to do uh, through the Holy Spirit and through the lives of the apostles in the early church. And we have been looking several weeks now at Stephen and the speech that he is making to the Sanhedrin and how he has so far not done a real good job of sort of winning them over to his side of things. For example, if you saw a group of people, and they're all wearing basketball jerseys, the Chicago Bulls with number 23 on there, you don't go over to them and start saying bad things about Michael Jordan. That's not going to win you any friends, and you're probably going to be in some trouble with them. You don't go over and disparage people's heroes unless you want to get in trouble. And that is what Stephen seems to be doing. In fact, we looked at last week that the way that Stephen begins to talk about Moses, that's one of the things that he was accused of, was talking about uh, speaking blasphemous words against Moses and against God. That's in chapter 6, verse 11. And as he begins to defend himself, it's really not a great defense of himself, but as he begins to testify to who God is and how he works and what he's been doing from early on, we see Stephen continually look at how God has been working in the lives of his people outside of the land of Israel, before the temple is built, before the law is given, and yet how God is still the same God and who's continued to work in the lives of his people. And we saw this with Joseph, and we see this 
with Moses. But the way that Stephen brought Moses up as he begins the story is by saying, oh, yeah, yeah, no, I know all about Moses, the guy who murdered someone and had to flee for his life. And so you know that the Sanhedrin, their blood is boiling. They're like, not our Moses. This is the guy that we follow. You're going to talk that way about Moses? But, in Stephen's defense, that's actually the way that Exodus introduces us to Moses. That's the first thing that it tells us about him as an adult. We hear about him as a baby, but not really doing much on his own there. But the first thing we hear about that Moses does is he kills somebody. So we say, okay, that's the way that Scripture presents it. Now, the first five books of the Bible, though, Exodus being one of those, traditionally believed to be the books of Moses, written by Moses himself, which means that this would be the way that Moses introduces himself to all the readers for all generations. That the thing that is important to know about Moses, one of the most important things that we need to know first, is that he killed somebody and had to run away. That seems weird. That seems like one of those things you sort of want to hide and not talk about it. But it's important. And so we looked at that last week, of what that means for him to have uh, tried to decide for himself, just like Adam and Eve did in the garden. Decide for himself what's right and wrong, take matters in his own hands, and do what he thought was best in the situation. And as it turns out, it wasn't best, and it made everything worse. For him and for his people. So he has to flee. He has to go away, and he goes into the desert, and, uh, and he makes a new life. And for 40 years, he has a new life for himself in the desert, meets a woman, he gets married, he has a son, he's tending his father-in-law's flocks. Egypt is in his way in his rearview mirror. He's not thinking about it, he's not going back there, that's over for him. But it's not over for God. The oppression that Moses had witnessed earlier in his life that he said, somebody's got to do something, and he stands up to do it, it's still going on. He's trying, out of sight, out of mind, not mine to deal with, I'm out of here. But it's not out of sight and out of mind for God, who still sees, who still hears, who still knows the suffering of his people and who is committed to doing something about it. And that's what we see with this burning bush moment, is that God gets Moses' attention with this bush that doesn't burn up. What's going on there? I don't know. Moses doesn't know either. He gets his attention. He goes over there to see what's going on, and now God has his attention, and he says, I have seen, and I have heard, and I'm going to do something about it. And here's what I'm going to do about it. I'm going to send you back to Egypt. And Moses immediately objects. <laughs> you, no offense, but you, sir, have got the wrong guy. And I know you've got the wrong guy because I already tried it and it didn't work. But Moses had tried it his way, but he still hadn't tried it God's way. And see, here's the, the real key. It's in the prepositions. Because in Exodus 3, when Moses says, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? God said, I will be with you. 
When Moses had tried it earlier, he was trying to do something for God. But God is saying, I'm not sending you to do something for me. I'm sending you to do something with me. And that makes all the difference. It makes all the difference. And so when Jesus says, come, follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people, it's not, come, follow me, and then later you will go out to fish for people, and that's a whole separate thing, and it has nothing to do with the following me part anymore. It's all together. It's the, as you're following me, you will be sent out with me to fish for people. When he says what we just read in Matthew 28, he says, go and make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is what we see in the early book and early part of Acts with Pentecost itself of the sign of God's presence with his people. Because that's what we are called to do. Not to go do things for God. But he sends us to do things with him. So this is what we see then in the life of Moses. He does go back. He goes back to Egypt, eventually. And we see God, through him, do amazing things and deliver the people in ways that Moses never could have done on his own. And so we see, as Stephen tells us, where was that? He led them out of Egypt and performed wonders and signs in Egypt at the Red Sea and for 40 years in the wilderness. And he says, this is the same Moses. The same Moses. Whoever (laughs) said earlier, who made you ruler and judge over us. And at that point, and early in his life, no one had yet. But he says later, God takes the same one, the people who'd rejected, and made him the ruler and deliverer for them. Stephen is making a couple points here, but one, as he's tying uh, the actions of Moses to the these people are doing. He says, you're acting just like Moses in his early days, not like in the later days. He also says, you're acting like the people who rejected Moses when you're rejecting Jesus, even though God has raised him up as the one who is our deliverer. But there's something we have to be careful of. As we look at... uh, what it means to follow. Quoted from The Way of the Dragon or The Way of the Lamb last week. I'll do so again this week. The authors say, Often we hear God's call to embrace our weakness or move in sacrificial love, and we imagine that ultimately this will result in our heroism, overcoming all odds and becoming powerful. In other words, we imagine that Jesus has just given us a more surprising and challenging way to achieve power and success. We still believe we will get what others want, but the difference is that we will go about it in the right way. This is simply not what Jesus tells us. Embracing the way from above is often a hard and lonely road, but it is the true path of life. Moses in the desert has, you know, in the wilderness, has a life 
the wife, the son, his father-in-law, the flocks, to go back to Egypt. To have this life with God. He will know what it means to actually have that living relationship with God where he has to trust him moment by moment, step by step. He will experience signs and wonders and powers and miracles in ways that he never could have imagined before. But it's also going to be a much harder life if he goes back to Egypt. We looked last week at Peter cutting off the the ear of the high priest's servant in the Garden of Gethsemane. Peter is one who is later to come around and do things with God instead of trying to do it for them. And he has a hard life ahead of him. But he knows then the peace and the joy and the power that comes through that and the real life that's there. And Saul, who's standing there giving his approval to the people who are getting ready to kill Stephen at the conclusion of the speech, Saul, who's currently doing things for God, will later learn what it means to do things with God. And when he's called and he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus, and is blinded, and goes on ahead, there's a message that comes to Ananias and says, I want you to go to Saul because I'm going to show him how much he must suffer for my name. And you look at the rest of his life and the things that he experiences and he is the one who writes the whole book of Philippians where he knows the joy that comes from having this living and trusting and relationship with God in the midst of suffering. Because what he experiences from that point on is just one, it's not, like, it's not like you'd picture having highs one day and lows the next. It's like every day he's having incredible highs and incredible lows, but they're all in the same moment. Because he's experiencing almost the, the worst things the world has to offer and the peace of walking with God through all of that in the midst of it all. We look at the bush. It doesn't burn up. And on the one hand, It's just an attention getter. That's all it is. It's just a way of grabbing Moses' attention and say, what is that going on? On the other hand, it's also a sign. A sign of God's presence. Because it's a bush that is on fire, but it's not burning up. And we see this again a few times throughout Scripture. Here we see it, and we see there's the presence of God there. Clearly, speaking to Moses. We look in the book of Daniel, and we see the uh, instance of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who get thrown into a fiery furnace where, by all ordinary accounts, they ought to burn up. But they don't. Because we see the presence of God with them. And then on Pentecost, where we see the Spirit of God descending on the apostles in what appears to be tongues of fire, And so it looks like there are people who are on fire, but they don't burn up. And then through the lives of all the believers, from then until forever, you have the worst that the world can offer. It tries to crush people and burn them up. It doesn't happen. 
You have people who can know the peace and the joy of walking with God through the worst that can happen because we haven't been promised an easy road. We've been promised real life. We've been promised the presence of God with us through it all. That makes all the difference. If you've come here this morning and you have kind of this uh, nagging thought, what is it that God wants from me? What does he want me to do for him? I'll tell you what he wants. It's everything. He wants all of you. Every part, every moment, every day. Not not because he wants you to do that for him, but because he wants to be with you every moment of every day. That he wants all of your actions to be in partnership with him. This is the way things were designed to be at the beginning. This is the way we see things will be again at the end. And in Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit, this is what we have the opportunity for every moment now. But don't hear that. It's going to be that means it's going to be an easy life, or that then we will get the things that all of the world says we ought to want. Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, you need to deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. But it's in that following that we experience the life that we were always meant to have. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.